This week, one of our elders sent me a, a video by Francis Chan that really illustrates the whole point of what this message is about. In that video, Francis Chan asks the question about why do we treat Jesus and his commands in a way that we would never give our children license to? Jesus says, for instance, in Luke chapter six, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? It's a great question. Then Chan uses an illustration about his daughter and his instructions to tell her to go clean her room. He says, imagine that I tell my daughter to go clean your room, but instead of cleaning her room, she comes back to me and says, Dad, you are gonna be so excited. I did something really important. Really, what's that? I memorized what you said to me. Go clean your room. I memorized it. Or, he says, what if I told my daughter to go clean her room and then she comes back a few days later and says, Dad, you're not gonna believe this. You know what I've done? I've actually studied what you said, go clean your room, in the original languages. I, um, I know how to say it in Greek and I can parse it, outline it. I know, I know the past and present tense. I even know if it's an indicative or an imperative. Or imagine this, his daughter comes and says, Dad, I had an amazing idea. Here's what I'm gonna do. What do you think about this? I'm gonna gather some friends, and on Tuesday night, like every other week, we're gonna meet together. And I don't know, we're gonna call it a small group. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna study what it means to clean our rooms. We're, we're gonna see how that applies to our lives. We're gonna study the words, and we're gonna figure out how to clean our rooms and what that looks like. Meanwhile, She's not cleaned her room. Now you know where Francis Chan is going with this and you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Because that gets a little close to the vest. And what James is gonna talk about in this text today is the countless ways in which we hear a truth but we don't act on the truth. Or to make it very specific as to what James says in James chapter two and verse 26, he says, faith, apart from works, is dead. So today, our time in this wonderful book is to wrestle with this idea of how do faith and works go together? How, how does it work that our actions really matter? And I want to remind you that James is writing to a group of hurting people, no doubt, who were at times discouraged. So James writes really encouraging words, but he also writes this, sort of a get in your grill kind of message. And here's why. Because I think you know that it's a lot easier to follow Jesus when life is easy than when it is hard. And James wants to remind us that hardship is a moment where our spiritual maturity is actually not only tested, but seen. And some of you this week are gonna to have to be reminded of this because something hard's gonna come your way and you know what the Bible commands, you know what the Bible says. And this text is gonna remind you, look, it's not just what you say you believe, like it's game time right now in terms of how you're gonna act. So today what I wanna do is walk you through this text. We're gonna spend a significant time unpacking the principle, that's the first thing. Then secondly, looking at the illustration that James gives in the text regarding the mirror. 
and the perfect law of liberty. And then third, looking at some applications as it relates to us both personally and corporately. So the principle, the illustration, and then some applications. So first, the principle. It begins in verse 22. And this will be a principle, a theme, that we're gonna continue to see throughout the book of James. So if it just could counsel you, I would say get used to this particular theme because it's going to show up in other places and we need it. In verse 22, here's how the principle sounds. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the principle at its core is both central to James's message and his pastoral concern for this church or these churches, and he's concerned about this, the possibility of the tragic disconnection or the uncoupling of hearing the word and doing the word. His burden and his message that we need to listen to is this tendency to be content with listening or agreeing that something is true and then doing nothing about it. Last week's text was in verse 21 where it says that we need to receive with meekness the implanted word. Well, what does it look like to receive? Well, to receive, according to one commentator, is to understand that you haven't really received it when you haven't put it into practice. That there are some truths, some concepts, that in order for them to really be understood as true, you must apply them. The issue with those truths is not merely what you know, but what you do. And if you don't do, you really don't know. So the issue then is not just information, the issue is submission or obedience. Now, if you're a teacher or a parent, you know how this works. Like as a dad, one of my least favorite things that my kids would say would be, I know. Like, I hate that. It just makes me really sinful quickly. Like, if I tell them something, they're like, I know. I'm like, no, you don't know. And if you knew, you wouldn't say, I don't know. Like, don't tell me you don't know. Well, don't tell me that you know. Tell me you don't know. So I know. It's just completely aggravating. So imagine you're a teacher, and as your kids are being dismissed out into recess, sent out in the hallway, you tell them, now remember, don't run. And one of your students says, I know, as he starts to run down the hallway. And we know that that happens, where we know something is true, but it, for whatever reason, doesn't apply to us. Or here's another illustration. Imagine, God forbid, that you were speeding down 96th Street today, and a police officer pulls you over, and apart from the shame of people passing you going to church, seeing that you were pulled over on 96th Street, the police officer comes to the window, you roll it down, and she says, do you know what the speed limit is on 96th Street? Now, at this moment, there are really two questions in play. One is information, the other is obedience. Because if you were to say, I do know what the speed limit is, that, that's actually not the question that she's asking. She's asking, if you know that it's 35, then why are you going 65? You see, there are some things that in order to really know them, you actually have to embrace the full implication of what they mean. If you don't embrace the implication, then you really don't know the truth. You, you may know it here, but you don't know it here. You really don't know it if you haven't embraced the implication. So a basic principle in the book of James and really throughout 
all of Christianity is that there needs to be a connection between hearing and doing. That would be really helpful to those of you who are here and you're not yet Christians. And one of your hangups with becoming a Christian is all the Christians who are straight up hypocrites. And I can just tell you, both as a pastor and as a Christian, and for you as a non-Christian, we both agree, hypocrisy is bad. No one's coming in this church saying, hey, how you doing? Awesome, I killed it as a hypocrite this week. Like nobody, like we all know hypocrisy is bad. And yet Christians, or really all people for that matter, but Christians as well, they present a good game, but really their actions don't fit with what they say they believe. And if you're not a Christian, I'm just gonna tell you right now, that's not the way it's supposed to work. In fact, those people who are like that, they very well might not be Christians because of what this text says. So if you're not a Christian, let me encourage you, don't let bad Christians hinder you from becoming a follower of Jesus. Don't let hypocritical Christians serve as a barrier. And then when you come to faith in Christ, be sure you're never like that. And this will help you to understand what it is even to become a follower of Jesus. Here, here's what James says, and also what Paul says, and what Jesus says. James 2, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Or James 2.20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Or the Apostle Paul in Romans 2.13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Or Jesus in Luke chapter 11, who said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now it's really important for you to understand that I'm talking about one side of the, one angle or one aspect of what it means to be a Christian because you would be mistaken to think that works create salvation. In fact, the Bible is very clear. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. And then Romans 3. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So it's important for you to understand that Christianity involves both of these, but in a different way. It means that we come to faith in Christ by putting our trust alone in him. We bring nothing to the table, no good works. There's nothing that we can do to merit God's righteousness. But when that grace is given to us, we are so radically transformed that our lives change. So you don't change to become a Christian, you become a Christian so that you can change. Or here's how a North African theologian named Augustine said it. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It's really important. Faith alone saves. So you come to faith in Jesus by putting your trust fully in him. Your works, your baptism, your good deeds, your giving, you're thinking you've done less bad things than other people. That's not going to save you. But after you come to faith in Christ, all of those things verify that what you believe is in fact real. I mean, you, you would believe this in marriage. Somebody who gets married, it would be inappropriate to say, I'm married, but I can cheat on my spouse. If you cheat, you don't understand what it means to be married. So we understand this at lots of levels, and this is what James is doing. He's helping us to understand the dynamic of what it means to be a Christian. And the principle that he's leaning into from one angle is this, faith works. It's supposed to change you. Now, why is that principle important? 
Well, notice what he says. This is critical. James is going after something. He's going after the problem of self-deception. If anyone, he says, rather be, sorry, I'm in verse 26, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, here it is, deceiving yourselves. Now, that's really important because, let's be honest, there is a danger for religiously oriented people to spend their time listening to the word and not doing the word. And as a result, you can pull spiritual things close and begin to think that because I know these things or I know that they're in the Bible or I know that they're important, that I actually live as though they are important and you can convince yourself that you're actually obedient when in fact you're truly not because you know a truth but you haven't lived the truth. So this is complicated. Christianity always has two ditches on either side that we have to be careful of. On the one hand is the ditch of legalism where people add to the gospel teaching that people can be saved by their works. It's not true. They, they say in order to be saved, you have to do this or do that. That's the wrong ditch on the one side. And on the other side is the ditch of license, teaching people that the implications of the gospel don't matter. Like as long as you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, who cares how you live? The Bible would say, bro, how you live actually tells me if what you believe is real. So legalism and license both abandon the gospel. Legalism abandons it by trusting in something other than the gospel where license diminishes the gospel by making it powerless. Legalism adds to the gospel. License invalidates the gospel. And self-deception is in the mix. When you hear a truth, you bring it close, you make it feel like it's internalized, it feels like you've embraced it, but the reality is, is you can feel like you're more obedient than what you really are, or worse, you could convince yourself that there are areas of your life that don't need the lordship of Jesus. Now, hear me, it doesn't mean that every Christian is perfect. By no means. Broken people, we all are. But the question is whether or not the characteristic pattern of our life, and we'll see this later in the text, demonstrates that what I believe is actually true because of how it's worked out in my life. So just so that we're clear, when we look at a survey of church history, it would demonstrate that the most spiritually minded people, if we're honest, can find the most spiritual sounding reasons or even theologically justified reasons to not obey. Like we're really good at it. We're really good at hiding our self-centeredness with spiritual sounding reasons. Our staff right now is reading a book by Scott Sauls called A Gentle Answer. I've used it in a couple sermons. There's a chapter entitled, He Reforms the Pharisee Within Us. So I was thinking about being a Pharisee, because I know a lot of them, you know. I was thinking about the Pharisees. So who are the Pharisees? They were people who were part of the religious system. They were those who were trained theologically and those who were in that theological and spiritual system using their training in order to help other people to learn about spiritual truths. And I thought, hmm, who would be like that in our world today? And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Me. It was a sober way to read that chapter. 
especially when I see a quote like this. Somewhere along the way, the scribes and Pharisees lost their way. Rather than letting themselves be handled by the word of God, they presumed themselves to be handlers of the word of God. Rather than standing beneath the word of God, they started using the word of God as a tool with which to exalt themselves over people. That's what James means when he talks about the deceiving ourselves, where one can forget the real understanding of the Bible is supposed to lead to real obedience. So the principle that James is driving at, and the one that I wanna just bring close to the chest today for all of us, that's gonna make us a little uncomfortable, is this. Church, our actions matter. Our actions matter. Then James gives an illustration to both come at it from a different angle and I think also to perhaps lighten this heavy truth He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he is like. So so notice, this man is looking intently. Note, please, that there is no lack of effort and no lack of intensity. Just so you know, being a hearer only can make you very busy, very intense, very passionate, but just because you're intense and passionate and you get after it in terms of looking into the mirror doesn't necessarily mean you use the mirror correctly. He sees something that should be obvious himself in the mirror. It should be obvious, but notice that he forgets. The illustration is meant you to kind of shake your head and think, what, then why is he looking? If he looks and he forgets, what, what is the purpose of him looking in the mirror in the first place? And that's James' point. His point is to help you understand that he's looking to look. He's not looking to remember. He's looking because he likes looking. He doesn't look because he likes remembering. He likes the action of looking. And James intends for us to make the same application as that relates to the Bible, to God's law. His forgetfulness is immediate. It's a a mark that he's coming to the mirror for the purpose of just the mirror, not for the effect of what the mirror was supposed to do. Then James turns it in verse 25. He says this, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James talks about the perfect law, the law of liberty. Why does he talk about the law of liberty? A couple of reasons. One, because James is a Jewish pastor. People he's writing to are most familiar with the law. Secondly, he says law of liberty. That refers, I think, to both Jeremiah 31, where The prophet talks about God writing the law on our hearts. And I think also he has in mind Isaiah 61, a text that Jesus read and preached out of in his hometown in Nazareth when it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And Jesus in Nazareth rolled up the scroll and said, today that text is fulfilled in your hearing. And it ticked the people off. And this is the message that Jesus sends, liberty to the captive. So the perfect law of liberty has to refer to the gospel and the change that's designed to come. It's the law that brings freedom. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But notice 
Another word that James uses, it's so incredibly important. He says, he looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and what's the next word? Perseveres. Why that word? Because it means to remain. It means to stay. The idea is it's sticky, that it characterizes one. It means it shapes you. It's who you are. So you look into the law of liberty and you're not walking away unchanged, but something about what you are looking at is now affecting you deeply. It is shaping you and changing you and reforming you. doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. doesn't mean you're never going to make any mistakes, but it means that fundamentally the looking produces a new kind of living. Actions matter. The purpose of the gospel is to save people by grace through faith so they will change. Some of you, the reason why you struggle with assurance of salvation is not just because of the date in front of your Bible. It's just been a long time since you've seen the power of the gospel in your life. I mean, you go after a sin issue and use all the resources of the spirit and the word and community and you start seeing sin issues fall and fall and fall and fall. Your confidence in Christ and the word and in your legitimacy are gonna skyrocket. If on the other hand, you keep going back to the same sins over and over and over and over, God by his spirit is gonna bring a warning sign to you to say, look, are you real? And rather than pushing that away, real Christians embrace that and go, am I? Am I? Because if Christ is Lord, this has got to go. And it means not that they're perfect, but that they're always leaning into the change that comes through the power of Christ. This is the whole reason why God redeems us. Don't believe me? Look at Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is God's plan. His plan is not just to save you from your sins. His plan is to save you from your sins so you could live in a manner that honors him. And so we find here that James is identifying the path that God has designed for what true spirituality looks like, that faith without works is dead, that we come to faith by grace alone, and our actions demonstrate that our belief is genuine. That means that this week when a temptation comes your way, when you approach that temptation, you need to approach it with a level of gospel-centered force. Not like, well, maybe I will, or maybe I won't. I did it last week, but I don't wanna do it this week, and I don't, you know, I'm kind of a sinner that's really big time in this area. You come at that with this mindset. Christ is my king, Jesus is my Lord, this is rebellion, I'm not going there. And we need Christians who take a armor sort of mindset into the battle with their temptation that I was delivered to not do this as opposed to, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to not. We need to understand that faith was designed to work. It doesn't make you righteous, like forgiving you of your sins coming to faith in Christ, but it does verify that you understand the gospel of righteousness. Faith alone saves, 
The kind of faith that saves is not alone. So let me give you some applications, some things, some things to think about. First, if you're not yet a Christian, man, I'm glad you came today. One, because I want to remove all of the bad Christians that you have in your head, and I get it, there's lots of them. But friend, you may be here today and you're just understanding for the first time that it's not just the things that you do that's the problem, it's actually the essence of your heart and what you love and what you want. And what the Bible offers to you is not just the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible offers to you an entirely different life and eternal life for that matter. And so I would just say to you, if you understand this and you believe Jesus is Lord, you believe that you're a sinner, why not come to faith in Christ today? Why not just simply say, Jesus, I believe in you and I want you to change me. So come right now, be my savior. I pray that you'd be converted today, repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Secondly, I think the thing that we need to think about as College Park Church, for those of us who are Christians, is how do we respond to this text and how should we respond to it maybe more carefully than others? Because as I thought about this text, like, like this would be something that we really need to think about because I would argue that people who love the Bible, who love studying the Bible, who love analyzing the Bible, love Bible studies, biblically literate, people who are morally conservative people, like that's, that's us. And one of our dangers is that we could become consumers of the Bible instead of being convicted by the Bible. We could begin to read the Bible but not want to respond to the Bible. And we need to be sure that we're not deceiving ourselves by merely hearing the word, but not doing what the word of God says. So here's my challenge to you this week. Find very specific ways to do what the Bible calls you to do. One or two ways. Third, it's imperative that we preach the gospel, faith alone, as the only way that people are saved. 100%. It's also true that the effective preaching of faith alone does something in the lives of the people who receive it. So those implications of the gospel are really, really important. One of the reasons that we practice church discipline at our church is because if you don't embrace the implications of the gospel, you live in a way that morally doesn't fit with the gospel, then the church has a responsibility both to you individually and to the broader name of Jesus to say this person can't be a member of our church and claim to be a Christ follower because their life doesn't fit with what we understand about the gospel. And that's important. It's when the church says this person doesn't understand the gospel because of how they live. And that's, you may think that's being judgmental. I would say to you, that's preserving the integrity of what the gospel is. Because if everybody in the world was like, I believe the gospel, but they lived like they didn't believe the gospel, who's gonna believe the gospel anymore? That's what's on the line. So there's this really important balance to maintain that you don't want to add anything in someone coming to Jesus, but you also don't want to gut what the gospel means that you never talk about implications. The challenge though is you start talking about implications and people, to push you away from the implications, especially ones that get a little too close to the vest, they may say, well, wait a minute, just preach the gospel. 
Just preach the gospel. Don't worry about those implications. Like, stay out of this area, that area, this area. Let's just preach. The, the problem is you, you, you can't add to the gospel, but you also can't diminish the gospel by acting as though the gospel doesn't really change people. I want to remind you that after Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he gives a list of sin issues, and he says, I warn you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can I say something that I think is a little sobering? I think there may very well be many, many people who wake up in hell after they die who are shocked that they're there. Because they thought, I heard, I knew, I heard, I knew, I heard, I knew, but it never changed their life. I just pray that that isn't you. First John chapter three also tells us that we are to love one another in a way that fits with the gospel. Paul says, or John says rather, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So this needs to happen personally, like it does all the time. And I love the way that our church cares for one another. We gotta love each other, not be just concerned about our own issues, but also for others. One of the reasons that our church started the Brookside ministry and started thinking about local outreach was because of a concern back in 2006, 2007, that our church had become ingrown. That we, 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 knew, we knew how to do global missions and we knew how to study the Bible, but our neighbors like right next door and in our city, we just, we weren't reaching out. So Brookside was an attempt to build bridges of grace to bear the weight of truth, but you know why also we did it? Was because we needed to validate that the gospel really changes us right where we live, in our city. And one of the reasons we're thinking about our five mile radius around our church is the exact same question, but just in a, a different proximity. We gotta realize that people we go to church with, their, their burdens need to be our burdens. And we, we can't come to church just only concerned about our own needs. We need to have a gospel-centered perspective where we see the needs of other people and say, brother, sister, what hurts you hurts me. When it comes to issues that we've talked about in various ways and had some challenge with regarding ethnicity and barriers that exist between us, we gotta learn how to listen to one another and love one another so that the church can be a model of what the gospel can actually do. To count others more significant than ourselves. To look out for the interests of others. That's not just, hey, add this. This is like central. When I'm marrying a couple, I'm not telling them to be faithful, like, hey, just try and do this. They're making vows to one another, and to be legally married means that they signed up for all the vows. You don't get to footnote them. So the gospel is transformative. Jesus changes people, and people who know his grace know actions don't save me, but my actions after I come to Christ, they matter. Hearing the word has to lead to doing the word. So can I just ask you, does this make sense? Do you understand what the Bible's trying to say here? If so, let's go clean our room. Let's go clean our room. This morning we're gonna end by giving you an opportunity just for a silent, private meditation between you and the Lord. And so we're gonna have time of just silent prayer and confession. And 
Afterwards, our elders will be up here at the front. We'd love to pray for you uh, more personal, we'll give you counsel. But when you hear the music playing, you're free to be dismissed whenever you're ready. But I just want you to do right now what this text says. So in what ways do you need to take action in light of what this text says? Let's take a few moments. When the music plays, you can be dismissed as you feel led. Thanks for coming today.